Welcome to Hormone Health Podcast, brought to you by Georgia Hartman and Chloe Sheehan. This podcast is an extension of Hormone Health Studio, which is our naturopathic clinic based here in Newcastle and online. We're just two naturopaths who love a laugh, coffee, croissants, and conversations about real people with real health concerns. Nothing's off limits. We're here to educate you on what's happening in your body, share emerging research, and debunk buried health misconceptions. So sit back and let us do the talking. Today's episode, we are talking with our sisters. Our sisters both share a quite of an interesting health journey. My sister Phoebe has um, gone through IVF and conceived her daughter through IVF. Georgia, your sister as well has a bit of a health journey too. Yeah, my sister, which a lot of our clients know because I feel like I use my sister as a case study. The endometriosis advocate. (laughs) Yes, exactly. My sister has endometriosis and has been through a huge journey with endo and a hysterectomy so i am so excited this is what we want on the podcast we want people to share real life stories and hopefully that can resonate with our listeners to know that there are real people who are going through chronic pelvic pain infertility ivf to conceive um and so I think it's going to be really great to hear their stories from them. Yes. So this is the sisters episode. I love that. Sister act. Welcome Phoebe to the podcast. Um, people, For people who don't know, Phoebe, you are my younger sister and we are so excited to have a chat to you today. Thank you for having me. I don't know if I'm your youngest sister, second youngest. Oh, okay. Don't get caught up in the in the technicality. Already. Already we have some rivalry. Oh gosh. Already fighting. <laughs> so Phoebes, you have had a bit of a journey in terms of a fertility journey to get your beautiful, amazing one-year-old Aubrey. Yeah, it has been quite a roller coaster. Um yeah. Are you okay to share with us a little bit about your journey, maybe sort of when you guys first started trying and what happened? Tell us a bit about that. Yeah, so um, I guess it all sort of started when um, I noticed that my I had gone off the pill. I was on the pill since I was 15 to 21 and um, I sort of wanted to know what my cycles were like. So I went off the pill and um, and noticed that my bleeds were very irregular. And I noticed that I was spotting for like seven days um, in the lead up to my period to then having um, a bleed. And the bleed would only last about an hour, but it was extremely heavy. And then I'd spot for a further 10 days after that. And I think that was sort of the alarm bells that something wasn't quite right, um, that I wanted to do some more investigation, not because I was ready to have a baby then and there. It was because, yeah, I was looking into the future and through my line of work as well, I was, yeah, quite curious, registered nurse, yeah. And so you have an understanding of what a normal menstrual cycle should look like. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, with um, social media and, um, yeah, just purely curiosity um, as to what it normal and oh, and from you, I remember from you, you were um, 
asking me sort of what my cycle was like since being off the pill and yay. You mean like social media, that's where you would get information from? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Phoebe, then tell us what this journey looked like to conceive Aubrey. Um, Okay, so I guess with my cycles, I started to do some more investigating. Um, So it was, um, I went to just my general GP and um, just having a chat about my cycles and we did some hormone tracking and everything like that. Um, Did you find that was helpful? Um, I think it was because I knew it was sort of going to be like a process of elimination sort of thing. Like, okay, now that I've got that done, I can go and look into this or if, you know, um, just to give me some more information. So I did that ovulation hormone tracking and that all came back fine. I was ovulating, um, hormones were fine, you know, progesterone was fine. Everything was great. Terrific. Okay, cool. So, you know, just kept on going about my daily life and, um, and then I think um, when we were like, okay, would you be like, we were pretty keen to start trying. So um, to have unprotected sex and, you know, nothing was happening every month. And it was sort of like, oh, like, oh, well, you know, it just takes a little while. We weren't Can too I fast. We weren't how many months? Um, so we were probably unprotected for about eight months um, and that's not like trying every, like trying at a point to where we were, we were having sex every second day from day seven to day 20, you know, that's when we sort of started to ramp it up. So it was about eight months of, you know, unprotected sex. And then after that eight months, we're sort of like, oh, like something, you know, we haven't born pregnant or we haven't, you know. So then, um, I remember Dr. Joe, I don't know if I can like um, say him, but Dr. Joe on Instagram, he was yeah, great for loved, like. I love Dr. Joe. Oh, I love Dr. Joe so much. Um, anyway, so he was just, he would always put out, you know, um, what are the seven things you need for, you know, a successful pregnancy and he'd go through all the things and anyway. So we started trying. So we were having sex every second day. Nothing was happening like four or five months we weren't putting too much pressure on each other. But anyway, after that point, I then started to look into as to why nothing was, nothing was happening. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, did some more hormone tracking. Then I went to test my AMH um, and that came back at seven. And that was sort of like that a, is a bit so of so interesting. Cause how, how old are you, Faves? Uh, 27. It's so interesting because yours is the complete opposite. Yeah. You mm. like mine's in the fifties. Yeah. Yeah. So I knew at that point I was like, oh, sevens, that's not like some that's not the best number to get anyway. There must be a Considering reason. Considering your age, like you were sort of yeah. you know, you'd probably Healthy, want over fourteen at least. Any number higher than seven, I think I would have been like happy with. But you know, we're young you know, having unprotected set anyway. So we're like, okay, let's look into, um, hey, just, just quietly. I love how many times you've said unprotected sex. Yes. Yeah. Oh, sorry. So anyway, back to us having unprotected sex and then <laughs> every 48 hours. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. I know it was seems a lot. like you should be like without a, like a hard hat of like safety glasses. <laughs> uh, no protection. <laughs> Make sure you're wearing your high vis. 
<laughs> sorry, sorry, keep going. Getting back to it, um, we started to look into like Hayden's side. So we did like the sperm analysis and everything like that. And that all came back fine. Um, so, you know, put it down to, you know, are we doing something wrong? Um, what were you thinking she, you were doing wrong? Like, because, oh, you know, I was thinking my, my line of work. So I'm probably stressed. It's the night shift. It's the shift work. Um, you know, I was eating, a, you know, the perfect Mediterranean diet. Um, that means red taking, wine, right? <laughs> <laughs> red wine every night, right? <laughs> um, no, I'm joking. Um, no alcohol at all, completely went off alcohol, just tried to do everything by the book. So I was like, oh, you know. Anyway, um, was doing acupuncture twice a week. Oh, anyway, then um, I decided to book a appointment with my gynecologist and that takes three months to get in. So I was like, I book it now. By the time I get to go and see her, we sh- like we're, we're pretty like – you know, we really want a baby at this point. How long had it been? Anyway, um, I think it, it took about 15 months of trying mm. a lot. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and, and by that, are you referring to unprotected intercourse every second day? Yes, I was over it. I um, bet. But, and things but, like, mm. just before we go into that, you were also working as a gyno assistant, right? So you were seeing all sorts of things. How did that impact your mental health? Yeah, so I think I first started to take a real interest into um, the gyne sort of side. So um, I was working for early pregnancy assessment service so as um yeah, as sort of a leave relief sort of position. And through that, we would see um, every woman from, you know, uh, that we're experiencing loss at some point. Um, And, yeah, going through my own sort of journey whilst also doing this line of work was very, very tricky, but it also, I think, helped me to, I guess, empathise and be there for these women during such a devastating time in their lives. So, yeah, I felt like I wanted to go above and beyond and do anything I possibly could for these women um, and sort of putting my own journey on the back burner during this time because it wasn't about me. It was I was there for them. Yeah, so, yeah, that probably – um, that probably didn't add to the stress levels very well, but like honestly, yeah. that makes just can like <clears throat> thinking about my own experience with pregnancy loss, it just makes such a difference to have somebody who cares when you're in that hospital mm. setting and just a hand on the shoulder to just be like, Hey, you know, we're here for you, we've got you if you need anything, you know, mm. all of those things. Just that it really makes such a difference. And like, Phoebe, you yeah. would have been such a key part in those people's lives whether they had to go through you know abortion or miscarriage yeah yeah yeah, uh, yeah. and all while working on the surgical ward as well so I do both and um it, I really took an interest to educating a lot of the other staff on the ward as well because you just see how poorly um these women are treated and how um everything is pretty much overlooked because mm. Yeah, 
yeah, it's, it's I could go on with it for forever. It, it makes me so angry about how that system is run and I just wanted to be that change and, yeah. 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 And so you had, you finally got to your gyno appointment. Yeah, so finally got to my gyno appointment and we sort of had to go through all the tests again, so all the ultrasounds, hormone testing. Um, she suggested a high cosy, which I went and did. Um, did, you find, did you find the high cosy painful? Yeah, it was – I would probably describe it as more discomfort. Um, so I just took – I believe it was oh, – I can't remember what they – just Panadol and not Nurofen. They give okay. you – Adderall Sorry, this, a... what do you take for bad uh, – napragesic? Yeah. So Panadol and napragesic I took before uh, my procedure and um, and it was just pretty much when they were inserting the 10 mils of um, saline. It was just that pressure build up and as soon as it was released, it was like an instant relief. So it was all of two, three seconds, I think, of like really bad period cramps yeah, mm. five seconds and then it was gone. But they didn't find any abnormalities there? Nope, nope. So they said, yeah, tubes were completely patent. There was, yeah, nothing to report. And so next steps? Um, next step, we had some further uh, follow-ups with the gynecologist and um, we then decided to discuss our options because at this point we had been trying for a substantial amount of times. All of our tests have come back NAD. So, yeah, next thing was to talk about, yeah, our plan. So we spoke about um, IUI. IVF, um, medicated rounds, everything like that. And um, she pretty much said to us that we can try IUI. However, you're ovulating. We know when you're ovulating, everything is fine. Um, there's just, there's a greater, um, what do you call it? They said, and through IVF, there's a greater percentage of getting a baby. And at that point, we we wanted a baby. We were 100% ready. Um, we'd do anything so, yeah, we jumped into IVF. And so, Phoebes, with when you went through IVF, can you tell us a little bit about what that looked like in terms of how many collections or collections did you do, um, a little bit about your, your numbers or your details, your <laughs> IVF data? <laughs> yeah, so um, the cycle we did was the long down regulation cycle and um, that we did sorry it's hard to sort of remember it's sort of like a blur but um we went into our first round um with the nasal spray as well as the um stimulator injection and you have to have multiple appointments to see how the stimulators are going in your ovaries and how big your little follicles are getting. So and you were keeping anyway. us all up to date on WhatsApp in terms of how many eggs yeah. you got. I can't remember exactly. Do you remember? Yeah. So I ended up getting nine. So I went in for the transfer and just did the green whistle and the green whistle was fine, didn't feel any pain at all. So um, I know some people have the option to go general anaesthetic, but, yeah, I can vouch for the um, green whistle. Nine down. embryos or nine eggs? Yeah, nine eggs. So, yeah, they collected nine and then we 
pretty much wait to day three. So got to day three, they end up sending you an email and they say how many of these, oh, sorry, the day after they tell you how many had been fertilised and we had five that had been fertilised. And then we wait to day three and then we had four that made it to day three and we were doing a day three um, transfer. So I was back down um, on the Sunshine Coast to do the embryo transfer and um, it's pretty magical seeing it happen. Um, you can watch the whole process and also I say again, that's the best thing about the green whistle is because you get to watch mm. how many, you know, when they collect your eggs. You can see the whole process. Um, anyway, so oh I did gosh. a day three. Wow. It's just wild, isn't it? And, yeah, that's pretty surreal to see that all happening. Were you high yeah. as a kite or were you pretty good? <laughs> yeah, high as a kite. They had to take it off me. <laughs> yeah, it was so great. When she, I, yeah, when she says it's so magical, like she's literally seeing like unicorns jumping on the screen. I was <laughs> cuddling the, the nurse. Oh, it was a lot. I was... I was laughing, giggling. Ah, oh, it was what great. It was a good time. It was a good day. They're, they're like, okay, let's take this off you now. <laughs> anyway, okay. um, yep. Day three transfer. Watch the transfer, and then off we went. Um, and then in the meantime, we had one embryo that had made it to day five, and that embryo was um, able to be frozen. So we have one frozen. Um, and then you pretty much wait to do um, your blood test or you can do a pregnancy test. And um, yeah, I still to this day, I cannot believe um, we got a positive first go on a day three um, transfer. Um, and, yeah. And so do you remember, did you do the pregnancy test at home or did you wait for the bloods? did the pregnancy test because I didn't want to. I I was convinced that it was unsuccessful, 100% convinced oh, myself out of it. Why? Was it because I just I didn't think I could be so fortunate. And mm. even when we got the pregnancy test, I knew at that point that, you know, just because I see those two lines that, you know, there's not going to be a baby at the other side, you know. I guess once you... When you're trying for so long, you see those two, you Mm. you never get to see those two lines ever. And even when you do, you You don't believe it. It's just a whirlwind, isn't it? But it's not guaranteed. Like that's the other thing. Mm. And yeah, being through that line of work as well, I knew that it wasn't guaranteed. So yeah, pretty much convinced myself out of it. Um, But yeah, did um, the test, it was positive, did the bloods, they came back with numbers. And then I pretty much didn't believe it or didn't want to accept it until I was about uh, 22 weeks pregnant. And what was the turning point? Was the turning point that you could feel movement or what was the Um, turning point? That it was just out of that danger zone, you know, Mm. or that you get back your morphology scan and everything's okay. And you, it's that constant reassurance that I needed that everything was okay, you know? Yeah. Because Georgia, you were saying um, this week that through your pregnancies, it's almost like you didn't believe it until you felt the kicks and it's yeah. like something's in there. Yeah, mm. because I think too, you like, the, and I was speaking to a couple of clients this morning about this who are pregnant. They're actually like their due dates, like a couple of days apart. It's really funny. But they, you know, you go through first trimester and if you're really sick, you're like, oh, this is horrendous. Or if you feel fine, you're like, what's wrong? It's mm-hmm. a whirlwind. And then you get to 12 weeks and you're like, okay, like good, scans good you know whatever it may be and then 
then you're in a limbo phase from like 12 mm. weeks until you can, you know, the morphology scan pretty much, which is at 20 weeks. And even yeah. then, depending on where your placenta is, if it's at the front, it might be like a cushion and you still don't feel things until you're well into 20 something weeks. And then by that point, you're more than halfway through the pregnancy. Exactly. Going to change it from whirlwind to mindfuck. Yeah, yeah. Fair, 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 fair. 100% mindfuck. Yeah, I completely agree. And so, Phoebe's your pregnancy, apart from me giving you COVID at 11 weeks, in which I remember you hung up, hung up. Um, I could not believe it when I because, when I called because, you because it's that that phase. I was just like, my wife, yeah. like it's not it's not successful. So whatever, like, oh, well. you're like my stupid fucking sister brought COVID <laughs> up from Sydney into a rural town. <laughs> Actually, she infected the whole. She infected the whole Harvey Bay um, oh, with COVID. This it was a headline in the newspaper, wasn't it? That is so dramatic. Hosp- when I called the hospital, um, they could not believe fifteen of us. Yeah, party, COVID party. <laughs> Seriously, you want it, you got it. Yeah, yep. <laughs> and so your pregnancy, you weren't too nauseous, right? You didn't have the vomiting or too much nausea, but something happened at around thirty-seven weeks. Yeah, so I didn't really give us the whole story. Um, I didn't really have any symptoms at all, um, thankfully, but that also didn't help with the reassurance. But anyway, Mm. got to 34 weeks, um, first day of mat leave. Um, you know, home, finally doing all the things that I had wanted to do. Um, and a bit of background, Phoebe likes to like. She was like the kid who would like rearrange her room all the time and just be oh, like, so come to the nesting phase. This was like your space. Oh, yeah. So I had a list, a list pages long of what I wanted to do on mat leave. Anyway, one of the things were to put some curtains up and um, off I found a footstool and um, went to go and, I don't know, tinker with the curtains and I was stepping down. And I had just fell wrong in my slippers and kaboom, on the ground I went, big a big bang on my side and yelling out, um, this is not good, this is not good. And I had... Um, you fell on your foot, right? All your yeah. weight. Yep, I fell on my foot wrong because I was so front heavy. Um, I just fell completely wrong and my bones were completely... Um, vitamin D lacking. Yeah, I broke uh three metatarsals in my <laughs> left foot. Sprained my right foot. Hayden couldn't get you off the ground, right? That's right. So I knew I had done something wrong because I could not feel my my left foot. Um and we had to call the ambo and we waited I waited four hours on the ground for the ambulance. Um, for them to send me home and said I just sprained it without doing any scans. <laughs> Get that bitch a green whistle. <laughs> <laughs> anything at this point, anything. Um, and then I said, I'm coming back. I work in this hospital, so I'm coming back tomorrow for an X-ray. They said, no, there's no point. I said, I'm coming back. Anyway, went in, yeah, three med tussles, moon boot, non-weight bearing for 12 weeks. So what happened with the curtains? Oh, they never, they didn't get done for a very long time. Um <laughs> Much to my dismay because I was at home 
in a moon boot laying on the couch just looking around looking at, at all them. the things yeah. I could have done. Um, Phoebe had one of those scooters that she had to put yeah. in. <laughs> <laughs> but you like kneel on it. Yeah, okay, I love that. Knee scooters were the best, um, but I live in an old Queenslander, so none of the floors are level and I also live up flight, three flights of stairs. So, Oh, my um, goodness. Yeah. And 26 kilos heavier. Mm. And so yeah. you laboured and birthed Aubrey in your moon boot. In my scooter. <laughs> scooter. <laughs> you gave birth on your scooter. <laughs> the scooter was in there. Um, all of the midwives had never, ever dealt with a, a with a, um, a labouring woman who was non-weight bearing um, or had a broken foot oh uh, before. Goodness. So that was really interesting. Um, but in the end, I laboured, just had gas. And I, here's the other thing, I ended up having to get induced. So the hospital pretty much gave me no option but to be induced because my baby was IVF. This is an extremely dated way of care. But at that point, I just wanted her there safe. Mm-hmm. There was no point fighting it. But I, that's one, probably one regret that I have through the process is not, you know, vouching for myself, but anyway. That's yeah, she, respect, right. Like you hear it all the time with people who birth and say like they're going into their second births with mm. a completely different mindset or a way in which so, they want to yeah. do things. Yeah, I felt so prepared and then it came down to the last couple of weeks and it was just like, whatever, just do anything to get out. I think I could have done a lot better with advocating for myself. What a journey. I feel like yeah, that's almost a full episode. <laughs> Baby, thank you so much for sharing such an intimate journey and you have got your beautiful Aubrey here. We really appreciate you going through that with us. Thank you so much. Yeah, it's it's um a tough one, but yeah, thank you for letting me chat about it today yeah I think it's just so good to hear from people like people in our circle people everyday people you would never look at Phoebe she and and think she has struggled Mm. with fertility and she's gone through all of that because she's such a healthy young person you would never look at her and assume and I think that that's that's the invisibility of infertility yes well said yep hands down like I wish I could have yeah touched more on that going through those trenches are hard I felt you know so alone didn't want to Mm. talk to anybody about it I didn't want to be around anybody who had kids or were were pregnant and through that time felt like I was just trapped at home I didn't want to go out didn't want to see anybody didn't want to talk about it and no one could have said anything that Mm, could make it any better Oh, thank you so much, Phoebes. I really appreciate it. So now we're going to hear from my sister, Darcy, who has had a huge journey with endometriosis. And I am actually, I didn't think that you would say yes to this. So I'm really excited that you've jumped on. Were you hesitant? Yeah. Don't know what was wrong with me when I said yes, but I did. I'm here. (laughs) (laughs) So we have some questions um, about your journey and I know that everyone, I already talk about you in clinic. I don't know if you know that, but most of my clients with endo know you on a very personal level. So anyway, no, not awkward at all. Now they can put a face to the name. So tell us, Darcy, what were your early symptoms of endo? Uh, Well, it was from the second that I got my first period when I was 12. 
And yeah, it was just like severe, severe cramping, borderline like labor pains that I've been told that's what it looks like because I obviously haven't had child. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it'd be like severe cramping for the first like two to three days and nonstop nausea and vomiting for at least the first 12 to if not for 24 hours. How did you manage that yeah. at school? Um, well, because I was, you know, a bit overweight and that sort of thing too, everyone just thought that I just didn't want to do sport and things like that. So it was a lot of arguing with people and a lot of mum picking me up from sick bay. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Yeah. And all how, through primary school and high school. Yeah. Yeah. Full on. And how, how, I don't know if I know the answer to this, but like how long did it take you to get a proper diagnosis of endometriosis? Um, well, I had seen so many doctors since I was 12 and um, even our family doctor and that sort of thing, multi- I went to him so many times for the pain and I would just be put on like so many different versions of the pill from 12 as well. It was never for con- contraception. It was all, always to do with the pill and I'd have every other side effect from it, but the pain would never go away. So it wasn't until I was about 19. That is such a long time to be dealing with symptoms and to just, and that's why the average diagnosis is seven years. Mm. You know, some people go their whole lives without it, but so. Yeah, it was definitely, definitely about that long. Did you get to listen to? Was it, did you have to go somewhere different or did you had, did you do your own research? How did you get there? Um, Well, I didn't know the word endo until I was about 19. So it wasn't until I saw I'd moved to Melbourne and I had seen another doctor because it was getting so bad and I couldn't hold down a job because it was just constant sort of thing. Um, and, yeah, it wasn't until about then that I learnt the word and then not very long after that I was put straight into for a laparoscopy. So from that point learning the word and then my first surgery sort of thing is when I started actually re- doing my own research. Yeah. It really, like, came about, I'd probably say, like, maybe like five years ago it really started to gain traction mm-hmm. and people started to question if that was something, more research about endo and adenomyosis. Mm. And yeah, can definitely. you share a bit about what a standard month would look like? Because I know for you, yes, there was pain and vomiting, but, you know, your whole, like the whole month was affected. It was like the week before was bad. And, you know, can you talk yeah. us through what a standard month looked like? Yeah, so the whole like PMS sort of thing with my body would be a good week beforehand. I'd start to notice that I was just off mentally as well. Like it would really start, I get real foggy and like hazy in my brain and be very like irrational with arguments and things like that, like just really offhand. And then that was about a sister. Good, um, sister and maybe my partners. Yeah. <laughs> like, look at me. Yeah. <laughs> things like that. But then, um, so with my period, I'd always bleed for a full seven days. And then it would be the first, definitely the first three days of like severe pain. And then after those three days, it'd be about a full week of actually like my body body recovering from like what it went through internally. So I always felt like I was like a host to like this thing going on inside my body. <laughs> yeah. And then you would get like one okay week. And like, that's when you would do everything that you wanted to do. Like that's when you, you know, do your work or I don't know. Yeah. Like you would kind of do all yeah, your Yeah, no, definitely. I'd just it. jam it all into like one little week for sure. Yeah. And there was points where I'd have like months, a few months at a time of actually like it being every two weeks. So I just didn't have an escape from it. How did that affect all. your, how did that affect your mental health? Oh, terribly, terribly. Like I was definitely went through like severe depression and, all sorts of things like that. Definitely very suicidal points, especially during those two week, like when it was every two weeks sort of thing, like that would be 
definitely horrendous and it's kind of not now until like hindsight looking at it all and doing therapy and that sort of thing that I really realized that I was truly suicidal it wasn't just like me because I would you know like be screaming in pain of just like I just want this to end it needs to stop like what's wrong with me sort of thing yeah and it's that type of thing that you would you've tried pain met like you've tried so much to manage the pain oh yeah endone tramadol, polexia, all of those like opioid-based things never did anything for the pain either. It just made me more nauseous. And it's so hard to tell people, as you would know, your level of pain because depending on that doctor's level of pain or what someone's experienced, it's It's so subjective. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And depending on who the doctors are and honestly, whether they're male male or female really didn't have anything to do with it at at that point as well. Like I could have, you know, old men doctors that just like would agree with my pain and really sympathize with it. I could have women doctors that just thought I was overreacting and just wanting painkillers. And it's just kind of like, yeah, it was horrible. (laughs) Yeah. And I know like, you know, I've seen you in it and you're like, I just like, everyone needs to leave. Like I just need to ride this out for X amount of hours. And then I know that I will come out a little bit the other side, which is just so hectic, isn't it? It's just really hard to be in that much pain around people too, because you just like, you feel like a bubble kid, you know, like that you're just own little bubble. My whole world revolves around endo, any move that I make, any plans I make, it's all just got to be contingent on like, when's my next period? When might it come? Might it come in two weeks? I've got a plan for that. Like, yeah, it was just my whole life was revolved around endo, yeah. So can I ask, you said you had your first laparoscopy at 19? Yeah. So how did that go? Um, well, also at the same time they put in a marina and um, like during the surgery and I physically couldn't stand up straight. Like I, it was causing so much abdominal pain during that. Um, it was about nine months that I just like put up with it because I just wasn't sure if it was still me recovering from the surgery because I did it all at the same time. So then, yeah, and then it wasn't until I went back to that doctor and to tell her that I was still in a lot of pain and then she kind of just got mad at me for not coming in sooner and then didn't want to see me again. So then I had to go down the route again of finding a new specialist and then it was another laparoscopy after that. And Did you get yeah, any yeah. relief of pain from that first surgery? No, not really because of the marina and that as well. So it just kind of like affected all my hormones in another way. How many? Yeah. I feel like I should know the answer to this, but how many laparoscopies have you had? I've had three. Oh, my goodness. And come the third one, did you get relief? Well, like, so I'd get maybe, like, after the second one, I'd get maybe, like, three to six months of relief, and then I'd just be back in it, back in it again as much as I was prior sort of thing. So then then that was really mental health toll of, like, how long, like, you'd really have to change, you really have to change my perspective on it as I went through it sort of thing. Cause it would make me really depressed and really low because of all the hormones, obviously going haywire. And then it being like, okay, all right, I actually have to do something about this because I'm the only one that can help myself. You know, I'm the only one doing all the research to know what's like, what my body really is going through and that sort of thing. And it's a hard thing too, cause it's your period. So it's just kind of like, you're in denial a lot of a lot of the time because it's just like what every other woman goes through and it's just kind of like you go through moments of being like suck it up Sally like you know mm. everyone else goes through it it can't be that you know maybe you're just over exaggerating maybe my pain tolerance is really low and things like that mm. but it's just like until a third party sees you in it and that sort of thing especially women that have had children that I've had around me that have seen me in that are just kind of like fully shocked and just want to take me to hospital and it's just yeah, yeah the last place I want to go did, did you, you find water bottles in there? No, yeah. No, did you find blanket. that the online community 
was helpful, you know, around uh, either Instagram or Facebook pages or those sorts of things. How did you find that endo community? Um, yes and no. And that's also like down to what headspace I was in with it and that sort of thing as well. Because it, it has kind of, in a sense, become like a fad word sort of thing, you know, and like everyone knows someone with it now. So it's like you don't even really get to tell much of your story before it's someone telling you about their sister or something else. And it's just kind of like it's all so varied as well that like every woman with endo goes through a very different experience every time. Some is really severe, some isn't, and some is in other ways and things like that. So it's just it's a hard it's a hard space to read about sometimes. I didn't really love reading about it all the time because you either then you just kind of like get in your head of like, well, have I got it that bad or is it that bad or there's no one that fully mm. has my story. So relate, trying to find spaces to relate to outside of just doing your own research and listening to your own body and having a really good holistic team around you is like I think the biggest difference there. And it's like if you read comments on Instagram or whatever and maybe share your story, there's always someone with unwarranted advice. I found that yoga helped me or I found like how frustrating is that to read as somebody yeah. who's like tried a lot of things? Super, super frustrating. Yeah, I did that a couple of times, wrote my story out just being like in a good headspace, being like maybe I could help someone. But, yeah, then no, just kind of like we'll come back to you and you just kind of feel lower than you did before because it's just mm. like a bunch of people telling you what you should have done and why you shouldn't have done that or whatnot and that sort of thing it's just kind of like well you're not even a professional and you don't really know me personally or what I've been through it's just a little snapshot of a sentence that I've written somewhere mm. and then mm. what led you to decide you know to go down the path of a partial hysterectomy talk us through that whole journey well I've actually mentioned it to doctors beforehand and they would like literally laugh in my face and just be like, you're so young or it's literally contingent on like me having a boyfriend or based mm. on a human that literally doesn't even exist yet. But my quality of life is crap. Like, mm-hmm. so I just kind of really got to a point where I'd, I had lost so many jobs and like been really unreliable in those spaces and as honest as I can be about it in any workplace sort of thing, it always is fine till it's not. Mm-hmm. So I just kind of really got over it being such a, such a toll on my life and my whole life revolved around it sort of thing so yeah it definitely was like the best decision I made for me yeah I'm I just like I take my hat off to you like it's such a huge because the problem with endometriosis is that if someone had said hey have this surgery or do this or have this treatment and you're guaranteed that you'll be pain-free and the condition will be dealt with. But we know that that's not the case with endo. Oh, yeah, it's not the case. I still had to choose to have the surgery and hope or based off my own research and my own feelings in my body that I felt like, because for me, the most debilitating part, all the other things that come with endo, I can deal with outside of physically getting my period. That's where it would just knock me for six and I'd just be out of action for a good two weeks of every month. And it was it was the it was getting the period that caused so much pain for me. So, yeah, I just was like, well, if anything, that's like I would rather do that than have another laparoscopy. Yeah. If you could take away the period itself, then yeah. perhaps you can get some relief. So how how's life now? Like how's it going? And when was um, the hysterectomy, if you don't mind me asking? Yeah, it's been 11 months. So it was last September. Um and it's been it's been its most productive year that I've had like mentally and like within my own work and my own business and things like that. Definitely the most productive sort of thing. And I just definitely I feel like that big cloud in my brain has kind of 
been removed now and I actually can like think for my own self and not around as like a host, you know, so this thing that's living inside me that I'm trying to like deal with. So yeah, so with your journey in mind, what would be some of your best tips for somebody who may be considering that they may have something like endometriosis because of their symptoms? Definitely like a really strong holistic team around you, whether it's a like definitely a naturopath, definitely like um, a lot to do with your mental health as well outside of like talk therapy, like kinesiology and things like that are really great for starting to understand your own body. And then also like when it comes down to diet, because that's a big thing that's like joined in with endo sort of thing. Like, and I tried every diet under the sun for endo where it came down to just like anti-inflammatory and all these sorts of things. But most definitely the um, low histamine diet is the main thing that's really that I will stick to because it works for me, you know, like, and when you break down the whole histamine relation and that sort of thing with what's going on inside, inside your body, it really is like the only thing that also logically makes sense because mm. there's no so much of endo just doesn't feel logical <laughs> or mm. like it's really hard to make sense of sort of thing. So definitely that. And then, yeah, just like really good therapy and a really good GP that specializes in women's health, not just like a GP that's going to just put you on another pill. Like you really need a team around you that understands what endo is and is compassionate about it and will take the time to like understand your version of endo versus endo as a whole word. Mm, I love that. And out of this is me just being curious. Yeah, when ask they, questions. <laughs> when they went in for the laparoscopy, where was it and what grading? Because what we know with endo is that you can have stage four with no pain or you can have a very mild endo with 11 out of 10 pain. So when they actually went in, what did they find and where was it? Um, stage four and it was literally everywhere, all over my bowels, all over. It was um my rights ovary is prone to like rather large cysts and things like that too so it adhere on the outside of my right ovary to my uteral wall sort of thing so that would cause extra pain outside of that so it was like yeah at one point with my second surgery they wanted to stitch my ovary into another position so it wouldn't join to the wall because that was causing more pain as it would go so wild and um (laughs) your face is just (laughs) so wild um but yeah so it's just um it was everywhere yeah (laughs) And I guess that's one thing now that I'm starting to deal with is endo's not ever going to go away. What I all I did was remove the severe, severe pain that I was in. So I do have like bowel issues from from the endo, and because that's now has nowhere else to adhere to or like live in. Mm. <laughs> um, since I've removed that, it's definitely attacking my bowels now. But I have a really good team around me that's like so I'm trying. I'm doing other therapies and things like that to help manage it. Last thing I want to do is have, you know, part of my bowel removed. <laughs> Which you hear people do, like you hear people <laughs> yeah. have endo well, on their I've diaphragm. read it all. Yeah, I've read yeah. all of it, yeah. Oh, I mean, yeah. down to the point where I'd get my period and my nose would bleed. So like endo yeah. tissue anywhere, yeah. <laughs> Gosh, that's so fascinating. It's, it's such a so cool fascinating. disease. Such a cool disease. You've seen um, like images of endo on the thumb, on cesarean scars, like it just. In mm-hmm. males. Like it's just, oh, yeah, the complex, it, it doesn't discriminate. Yeah, it is so complex, isn't it? But you do seem just like such a different person these last kind of almost 12 months. I feel mentally like a different person. It's bizarre what that's, what that little tiny four centimeter thing 
yeah. was done to my body, you know? Yeah. 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 And, and I'm I... just glad that I decided to take the time to make it about me and not about all of our ingrained woman traits of like, you must want to be a mum. It's just yes. like, yeah, if I did, I care about me more. <laughs> Yeah. Well, that's a whole nother conversation, isn't it? And did you find, you know, from a fertility standpoint that, you know, that would consume a lot of your mental capacity on this journey? Um, I thought that it would affect me more. I definitely have moments where I go in and out of like, what have I done and that sort of thing, but it's far less now. And I'm pretty sure it takes a good 10 months for your whole system to kind of like rejig itself after removing that organ in particular. Mm. So, yeah, I feel like I'm on the other side of that now. Yeah, great. Yeah. Wow. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's a real so fine. journey. And I like for people listening, even if it's just so what... fine. <laughs> well, I'll talk about all so of fine. it. Yeah. That's how I, 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 I really like talking about it because it was something that I felt kind of almost ashamed for for so much of my life. And it's just like, even though, yes, now it's like a bit of a fad word and thrown around a lot more sort of thing, I'd rather be talking about it so people actually have a knowledge base of like, what it is versus it just being one in every three women has bad periods. So that's endo. Like that's just a shit sentence. (laughs) In the last several years or so, there's been more funding in Australia for endometriosis. And there's also those designated pelvic pain clinics. You know, it's not the best, but it's something. And I think that hopefully it just gains more awareness so that less people have to go seven years without a diagnosis. Definitely. Definitely. And I really feel like all those contraceptives, concept, contraceptives I was put on and that sort of thing at such a young age really did other things to my mental health and things like that that just really was unnecessary. And I probably could have been a lot further in my own mental clarity and things like that from a much younger age rather than because I really shut myself off from everyone, family and friends and things like that because it was just too hard to manage and too hard to constantly, like I said, be that bubble kid that's like always like, oh, sorry, I'm sick or whatever. And it's just kind of, Mm. you know, you get an eye roll after a while. It's just kind of like, well, I don't really even want to talk about it. (laughs) Yeah, Mm, Because you tried, you tried the pill, you tried the marina. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've done, I've seen multiple naturopaths before you became a naturopath as well. You know what I mean? I did Mm all the things that I could possibly do outside of because there was big gaps between those laparoscopies too where I'd go through trying to find some other avenue Mm. that I could get help from and then things like that I know it was actually Darcy who said to me you need to go and become a naturopath (laughs) yeah I was studying something completely different and didn't even know what a natural like like, get out of law what are you doing yeah we didn't even grow up I had no idea. How did you even come across a naturopath? Like I had no idea what that was. All my friends have been hippies since I was like 14. Yeah, there you go. (laughs) And also I'm guessing you get to the point where you're like, I will literally do anything. Yeah. Oh, I'll take any weird drink that you think is going to fix me for sure. You can tap the life out of my body all over the place. I'll give it a go. I'll give any (laughs) of it a go. Yeah. Yeah. Especially when the laparoscopies weren't working. So you know, like not for any sort of longevity, like, and it's just kind of like the build up and then all the recovery your body goes through in that amount of time to just be back in the same spot six months later is just kind of like, what am I doing? Yeah. Which is such a that real, for me though, you know? Yeah. Well, it's such a real story because often we think like, okay, nothing's working now. I'll have a laparoscopy and that will fix me, but it's absolutely not guaranteed. And I've seen it. Do you see it too, Chloe, in clinic? Like you've had people that have had a laparoscopy and it hasn't helped? Well, me, I had a laparoscopy investigative and they didn't find anything. So it's like where what's the cause of the pain or mm. the other, you know, causes there? It's just it's still, you, yeah, a lot left unknown. 
Yeah, definitely. And I mean, like the hysterectomy is not like my end game now either. Like I still have a lot of other things that are going on. I have to be aware of my ovaries because I've kept them obviously for as long as I can because that obviously does so many other things for your health as you age. But yeah, like I know I'm still prone to growing cysts and things like that. So I just have to be aware of things. But it's also like learning my body in a whole new way now since I've had a hysterectomy because like all of my indicators of going through my cycle were all pain related. Mm. And so since I don't end my pain threshold is quite high. So like not I'm having to really relearn cues with like ovulating and things like that to be able to track things that are going on inside my body versus it just being like, oh, no, something's wrong now, you know. Like it's still, my body's still going through a cycle because I'm still, I still have my ovaries and that, but yeah. And do you find that you get like a, like a virtual cycle, let's call it, where, you know, you might get PMS type symptoms and then you get a relief day? Um, Not so much that I've like really been able to hone in on yet, having moments where I get really hungry for a good week and then my boobs hurt like they're big bruises. So that's a mm. new one. Yeah, Interesting. There we go. <laughs> yeah. The virtual lucky. cycle. Yeah. <laughs> so fast it's just so fascinating you know what the body can do and do without particularly when it comes to yeah hormones but your mental health so ah oh, it's been so great thank you so much for coming on all good anytime thanks for listening to this week's episode if you liked it leave us a review and follow us on socials we'd love to hear from you